This is the Cloud Ace Podcast, bringing you the latest in cloud security through captivating chats with fascinating cybersecurity experts who are leaving their mark on the industry. Cloud Ace is brought to you by the SANS Institute and hosted by SANS certified instructor, Brandon Evans. And now, prepare for departure. We are clear for takeoff. Here's your captain, Brandon Evans. All right, so I am so excited to have Frank Kim on the podcast today. Frank is a SANS fellow, the curriculum lead of the cloud security and leadership curriculums, as well as one of my closest personal mentors. Under his leadership, we went from having about two or three cloud classes to having the 13 that we all know and love today. Outside of SANS, Frank is the founder and CISO of ThinkSec, a security consulting and CISO advisory firm that helps businesses align their security program with strategic goals. Beyond this, he is either an advisor or an investor of about 10 security companies, and three of the companies he has previously advised have been acquired by major security firms, so definitely keep an eye on those companies. And finally, as I'm sure we'll discuss, before all of this, he was an executive director of Kaiser Permanente, which is a household name in the healthcare provider industry. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Frank. Brandon, hey, thanks so much for the kind introduction and for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Most certainly, all of that has been well-earned. You've been in the industry for quite some time before the cloud was really adopted. I know that now you're kind of the face of cloud here at SANS, but obviously your career has extended beyond that. My career has been existing before the cloud myself, and I've been doing this a lot less time than you have. So what was your career like before the cloud? Yeah, hey, that's a really good question. You're taking me back here now. And I actually started my career a long time ago, kind of at the during the dot-com days as a developer, as an engineer, building applications, building systems, deploying systems, and all of the corresponding uh, problems that I didn't know. I made a lot of mistakes over the years and in retrospect. And I actually, while I was writing a bunch of code that some of it is, for better or for worse, still in production at various organizations today, I introduced a lot of security vulnerabilities into uh, those code bases, actually. Well, it turned out I actually had to figure out how to fix those vulnerabilities. And there are other things that occurred whenever there were other issues and incidents that arose. Somehow, um, I, would, I became the guy that would have to deal with those. Ah, we don't want to think about security. Frank, can you just go handle this for us? And that naturally led me into various full-time roles in security, doing things like pen testing, application assessments, code reviews, building application security teams, doing uh, consulting work. And it just naturally transitioned from development into uh, security, what we now refer to as cybersecurity, when in the, I would say, the, the early days of application security and trying to figure that out and how to scale that for some large organizations. And we both have had a very similar start in that regard as I was an application developer as well starting off. And I think it's a really good example of how it takes a really long time to understand security. Even the people that are now leading in security started off potentially making applications with lots of vulnerabilities. I know that I've done that as well. I really, really hope that most of my code has been retired at this point. But you learn if you have an interest in it and you can become a security champion from there. But as you've gotten used to working in a security role, I'm sure that there has been a time where 
things really transformed from on-prem to the cloud. So specifically, let's go down memory lane. When did you start noticing that the cloud was becoming adopted in a production scale? Well, you know, I would say cloud and corresponding cloud-related, cloud-native systems, tooling, and processes. And you know, towards the beginning of my career that we were just talking about, I was with an organization and we were doing those big heavyweight waterfall deployments. And I think you've heard me talk about this before, but you know, we deployed to production how many times a year? 0.7 times a year, which is actually once, roughly speaking, every 18 months. And it was horrible. We had this big bang type of approach. And when deployment day came to actually go live in production, it would be a weekend event. And all of the developers and engineers and administrators and project managers and testers and database admins, we'd all be in the big conference room at the office together, hoping that nothing would go wrong. And of course, invariably, lots of things would go wrong. Some deployments completely failed. Many of them, through a lot of hard work, actually succeeded. And we knew something was wrong, but I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know what tool chains, what processes could be put in place. Around that time, you know, we started to get more involved in agile processes and methodologies, trying to move faster and break up the big bang approach into shorter sprints and working with the business and other teams more uh, iteratively. Well, fast forward now, of course, that evolved into DevOps where we've got continuous, continuous integration, continuous deployment. For me personally, I would say that it was that journey and at the same time, trying to apply those different processes to not only what the dev teams were doing, the DevOps teams were doing, but also what we were doing in the security team that I first started to see, ah, how can we actually scale this? And around the, and, and in parallel, at the same time, the cloud started to become more of a thing. And well, what made it easier to adopt some of those DevOps practices and principles, not only the existing on-premise tool chain in terms of Jenkins, which has been around for a long time to automate some of those builds and deployments, but to be able to use cloud services, APIs, and API-driven approach to see how we can automate some of that stuff in the cloud, ah, we started to see how we can take advantage of those things to work faster, more effectively, more efficiently, and more securely. So, you know, it's been a long journey with the cloud, but for me personally, I think it's been a kind of natural progression, especially starting as an engineer now with cloud is so much easier to understand when you've got some infrastructure as code, you've got Terraform, you've got cloud formation, and you don't have to sit around and wait for those servers to be racked and stacked and plugged in like we used to have to do. Yes, that sounds nightmarish. Uh, release 0.7 times a year. In my first role, we released maybe once a month, every couple months. And even still with those kinds of cycles, you have people in a room waiting to see what goes right or wrong. This affects both security, but also I think the customers hate it, right? Having to wait that long for a release to happen and then see whether or not in that release there's any valuable functionality. So it's definitely a mess to work in that old waterfall, uh, waterfall workflow. And I'm glad that we're adopting DevSecOps. But there's a lot of concerns that come about from security folks when it comes to DevOps, because you're giving more developers more power, the ability to shape your production environment in some cases. And previously, we had a strict separation between developers and operations and security. Do you think that breaking down those walls has been beneficial for security or the opposite? You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that is 
And I, I think now modern security teams, current security teams still struggle with this. But for the most part, we as an industry have come to grips that we've got to accept DevOps and the cloud. And a handful of years ago, I was having drinks with a friend. And about halfway through his second beer, I could tell he got a little bit serious. He's another security guy, been in the industry a long time, security expert. And he slowly puts his beer down. And I said, think to myself, uh-oh, what's, what's he going to say? And he says, Frank, I think I figured it out. I finally understand why I hate DevOps. It's just another excuse for developers to have root access in production. Now, what's hilarious about him mentioning that is now, fast forward roughly four or five years later, he has had numerous roles at other companies leading security teams, specifically cloud-first and DevOps-first organizations, and he has done a complete 180. Now, what happened in between there, what happened in the middle, is really when he said that comment over beers, it was a lack of familiarity, a lack of understanding of what DevOps and the cloud actually is and how it can make our security work easier. Now, certainly there are challenges, there's things we need to secure, but we've got to do it conceptually. The principles perhaps are similar, the same to our on-premise environment, but the way we apply them to various cloud services is different. And I think now in the last few years, handful of years, yeah, as an industry, we have learned a lot more about cloud, a lot more research coming out, a lot more places to go and understand hands-on, hey, how does cloud actually work? And how can we actually turn on, enable, use these various cloud services more securely, as you well know? Yes. And I think quite the opposite when I think of DevOps regarding root access. I think that no one has SSH access to their machines because we're using immutable infrastructure. We are tearing down our VMs when we need to make changes and replacing them with new VMs or new containers. So I think that largely it comes down to implementation. DevOps can mean that you have root access, but it largely does not mean that. It means that we could have other controls in place. But like you said, it has to do with familiarity. And I think a lot of organizations are doing things radically different and calling it DevOps. In fact, I see a lot of organizations with uh, job listings saying, we want to hire a DevOps engineer. And I'm curious, right? Like, shouldn't everybody be a DevOps engineer in a DevOps organization? So how much consistency have you seen with DevOps and cloud being applied in these organizations? Have they largely been reading the same source material and following the same kinds of rules? Or do you see a lot of variation there? Yeah, great question. And you know, definitely I do see a lot of variation. And I think that's because individuals on security teams, individual DevOps teams and organizations are at a, as a whole are all at different points in their journey in terms of DevOps and cloud. You, know, you asked about uh, my career journey, where that started. I know from your career journey as well, there are different points along the way that, you know, as Steve Jobs said, it's easier to connect the dots looking back. And I think part of the reason why there's a little bit of a, a bunch of variance in terms of how organizations are using, thinking about securing the cloud and corresponding DevOps processes is that there are different points of the journey. If you've got a legacy DevOps horse and an enterprise in a traditional industry, well, hey, they've got existing legacy processes that they've got to deal with different teams in terms of perhaps an ITIL type of approach in terms of a CAB, a change advisory board, and early adopters of DevOps, a lot of times that quote unquote DevOps engineer was the person or team that had to help the security team, the DevOps team work together to navigate through those existing processes and to get to a point of a certain level of maturity. 
you know, the, all of the cloud providers have some variation of a well-architected framework and a cloud adoption framework. And these are examples of steps in your journey. And that's because a, uh, a an internet first company, a startup, a large startup, a cloud first company is going to have a different path, a different ramp up to adopting these organizationally versus a traditional enterprise that is trying to implement these processes for the first time. But that's not to say that, hey, it's kind of startup versus enterprise. I had a uh, consulting engagement not too long ago, and they had hired their first CISO. And the first CISO came on board to this startup, cloud-first organization, and said, you know what? Hey, we need to spend, we need to buy this expensive EDR solution for $300,000. We need to buy this other expensive solution for $150,000. And I was talking to the CEO, and long story short, it wasn't working out with that CISO. They had already agreed that the CISO would be leaving the organization. And it was really that that security leader didn't understand how to put together a stage-appropriate plan, roadmap for that particular company. He was, from what I could tell, trying to take his traditional enterprise playbook and bring it into this startup. So really, it's all about first taking stock. What are you currently good at? What are the gaps? What's the current state? Uh, and then moving from there in terms of what do we, what security controls and capabilities do we want to build? Absolutely. And I know that a lot of the traditional security folks want to get a tool that's going to solve all of their problems. And in my experience, a lot of these tools are hype. A lot of them say they do one thing and they either don't do that thing or people think that it's going to solve all their problems and it actually requires a lot of work to configure that tool or do other things in addition to using that tool. Now you're an advisor, an investor in a lot of these kinds of tools. So I'm kind of curious what your perspective has been working with vendors that are trying to secure these new cloud environments. Yeah, great question. And the uh, it's obvious that that's where we're going. And what's very, what's what's cool to see firsthand is how various startups and various companies are trying to address the quote unquote cloud problem. Part of the challenge here is when we talk about cloud, it's huge. There's you know, your typical infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service. And there are many different niches where there are different problems that security teams face that CISOs are trying to wrangle with all the time. And so when we think about, well, what is that cloud ecosystem? We've got that alphabet soup of different acronyms of vendor solutions that a lot of times Gartner and other organizations will put forth that a lot of times we as security teams even have a hard time deciphering what all of those things mean. And to your point, we always talk about people, process, and technology. And in the early days, especially, hey, we want to understand what technology is available to potentially try to address some problems. But for me, when I'm leading a team inside of an organization, sure, I always want to think about what is that technology that could help. Now, not be the silver bullet to solve everything, but what use cases is it addressing? Is it potentially helping me solve a problem, meet a business need, and maybe, hopefully, get rid of something else in my overall portfolio suite of solutions. But then, what's the corresponding work that needs to be done to make this go within the company, within the organization? And a lot of this is leading more towards automation. We know that we're never going to be able to scale up the security team inside of a traditional enterprise to the point where we would perhaps like. So now we move to automate different response, different approaches, different uh, fixing different issues in a more automated way with some guardrails. But it's that approach of 
Well, you know, you, you started off asking kind of what happened at the beginning of my career and many different tools we've used over the years. If we go ahead and take a, your traditional scanning app scanning tool, like a DAST, Dynamic Application Security. Years ago, I had this, what I thought was a brilliant idea. You know, hey, we, the security team, we don't have enough time to run that tool and weed through all of the results. Let me just go ahead and there's some QA testers over here on the team that have expressed interest in security. Let me give them the tool and have them run it and offload some of the work for us in the security team. And so they wanted to learn something new. They had interest in security, so they eagerly took the tool. However, I made a mistake. I didn't realize it at the time, is that the tool, well, you need some training, background understanding of how to weed through the false positives. They were only thinking happy path, not what these vulnerabilities could actually be and how to recreate them and validate them. So long story short, hey, it's a combination of, yes, the tool, the capability, but yeah, the, the team and the corresponding process that we need to put in place. This is Ryan Nicholson, author of SANS SEC 488, Cloud Security Essentials. Are you already versed in cybersecurity, but need to learn how to dig into cloud? SEC 488 Cloud Security Essentials was created for professionals who are new to cloud security or looking to change careers from a more traditional cybersecurity role into cloud security. SEC 488 will take you on a journey to equip you to implement appropriate security controls in the cloud, often using automation to inspect what you expect. Students dive headfirst into one of the most crucial aspects of cloud, Identity and Access Management, or IAM. Then move on to securing the cloud through practical, hands-on exercises related to several key topics to defend various cloud workloads operating in different cloud service providers. Learn more at sans.org slash sec488. You mentioned people, processes, and technologies, and it's like these organizations ignore that there are people and processes that go into the technology, right? The technology doesn't just work by itself and spit out security. You have people who have to use the tool properly, like you just said with QA, and you also have people that are developing applications that also have security implications. So to me, it's kind of a logical fallacy that you can just throw technology at a largely people and processes problem and solve all of those different types of problems. But I'm really curious about that example you gave regarding QA, because I've also thought that that would be a great place to introduce security without necessarily expending engineering resources or security resources. Did you find that after a little bit of training that these QA folks were capable of learning how to use these tools and finding vulnerabilities and maybe even suggesting how to remediate them? Or do you think you need a more engineering background in order to accomplish that? You know, you just mentioned kind of, I think a holistic process is using the tool, finding the vulnerability, verifying it, suggesting some fixes and identifying if, it, if, it, uh, uh, if it's actually vulnerable or not, things along those lines. And that's a very comprehensive approach that a security professional would do. And what I found is that it's helpful to break down that pro everything that you just mentioned into some of its constituent parts. So it might not be the one person in QA, for example, um, that unicorn QA person that does all of those things. But if we're able to break that down and turn it into some parts of a more overarching playbook and give some elements to other teams, that's where I think we can scale a little bit more. Because the mistake that I made with QA was exactly what you said. Here, take this tool, run it. 
and go for it. Where, whereas QA, their mindset is what? Looking for the happy path, right? Whereas security, our mindset is looking for all of the bad things that can happen. Those two in the same person don't always necessarily overlap. Certainly. They don't necessarily overlap, but they could. And I also find that developers do not overlap with QA much either because developers only want to see the good ways in which their application can be used. They try to ignore the sad paths as well as the evil paths. But certainly we can't just offload all of our work to these unicorns. I know we want to find these unicorns that can just solve all our problems so that we don't have to do all of this extra work, but it rarely, rarely happens, unfortunately. Now, as a leader for the cloud and leadership curriculums at SANS, I think that our audience would love to hear more about how those areas intersect. So for me personally, I find it shocking how much that CEOs and non-technical executives refer to the cloud. They talk about it as if it's going to solve all of their problems, similar to some of these vendor tools that we mentioned earlier. And those who are not in the cloud already look at it as a necessary step in terms of transforming their business. And I'll see all the time CEOs and marketing folks talk about how they're in the cloud. They are a cloud native solution. And as a result, their business is somehow magically better. So do you think that this is a well-founded perspective or do you think that this is largely marketing and hype? Hey, that's a really good question and really good observation about the intersection of cloud and senior leadership and how it is um, associated with driving or seen as driving different business goals and different business outcomes. Earlier, I mentioned that I had made a lot of mistakes early in my career, not only creating vulnerabilities, but other issues as well. And you know, as I progressed in my career in terms of building specific teams and AppSec team, consulting teams, um, vulnerability management teams, architecture teams, and so on, and hel helping to eventually to build programs overall and helping lead security teams, you know, I had to interface more with senior executives. And in retrospect, along that journey, I also made a lot of mistakes then. What was one big mistake is that I looked at things from my point of view, which was a technical perspective, because, well, hey, that's where I was coming from. We hear that saying that people get promoted to their level of incompetence. And, you know, hey, to be honest, there's probably times where I was in over my skis a little bit on a particular role. Now, the question there is, well, how quickly can you learn and how quickly can you recover? So I might have been over my skis for a little bit, but I realized that I had to go beyond my technical uh, skills, my technical experiences to tie back to what the CEO, the CFO, general counsel, and so on is looking at when they are leading the organization. So there's a big translation that we as CISOs need to make. We've got to be able to understand what our teams are doing. We've got to understand what our peers are doing, uh, but we've got to also understand the strategic objectives of the organization. Now, circling back to your question, your, your comment here, that really means that we got to understand the strategic objectives of the company. Now, it's easy to say digital transformation. Every organization is probably going through some sort of digital transformation. But we need to identify what are the key drivers for what moves the business. Is it availability, perhaps in a retail organization? Is it confidentiality, perhaps in a healthcare organization? Is it uh, data protection? And how does that map back? to those strategic objectives and down to what we're doing. And really, leadership just wants the bottom line. I've been asked, especially in the earlier days of the cloud, Frank, if we move to the cloud, how can you ensure, how can you guarantee, some, in some cases, 
that we are going to be just as secure, if not more secure, in the cloud versus what we're doing in our existing on-premise infrastructure. And really, yeah, that bottom line up front. So they don't care about all of the technical details per se, most executives at large enterprises. What they want to know is, do you have a plan in place? Do you have a roadmap in place? Where are there some gaps? And how can you help us look around corners to see what is the corresponding cyber risk associated with undertaking various activities? So if we move to the cloud, what does that mean from a data protection, from a privacy perspective? Will it have any ramifications on us operating our business and, well, for for-profit organizations, making money? Right? That's what they really want to know. And that's what we as security leaders need to figure out and do a better job of understanding. Hopefully that made sense, Brandon. Oh, certainly. And I really appreciate that you mentioned the fact of the matter that a lot of people get promoted to their level of competence. I think it's really important to mention that everybody has some level of imposter syndrome. I'm certainly feeling that uh, if not now, then maybe even a couple years ago, I'm feeling, wow, I'm transitioning rapidly into security and into cloud. And it's really humbling to uh, hear from you that you've also experienced that kind of imposter syndrome. And it makes me feel like I can surmount that eventually, or I'm already surmounting it perhaps. But you've definitely explained how executives look at the cloud from a security perspective. They think that this could potentially solve problems if we do the right things within our roadmap. I'm kind of curious about, and this may not have come about through a direct conversation that you had with an executive about security, but more about why executives want to go into the cloud in the first place. What do you think non-technical executives think about the cloud when they say, hey, one of our big initiatives is to go to the cloud? What things do they think they're getting out of this kind of transformation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really good question. So a lot of times non-technical executives, business executives will see that they're looking at the big picture. So one, they think that there could potentially be an element of I won't say financial savings per se, because that depends, the details depend on every organization and every situation, but an ability to more uh, effectively manage, whether it's a CapEx spend, an OpEx spend, and more ability to move a little bit more rapidly and uh, in an agile fashion. You know, it used to be I was at organizations and when we wanted to stand up something new in Europe, for example, it took us many weeks or even months to get something going. Now, as we know, it's basically the click of a few buttons to stand up some like infrastructure in a different part of the world to serve those customers. So there's that ability to move more rapidly and in a more agile manner. And as a result, organizations can adapt to shifting requirements and deploy their systems more effectively. There's also a realization that, hey, the cloud is the future. And because it's not a, running data centers is not a core competency of most enterprises. And to say, look, we're gonna spend however, hundreds, tens of millions of dollars running our own data centers, doing things that that's not our core competency. Now, some organizations are going to maintain their own data centers, but for the vast majority of enterprises, the argument could well be made that, hey, we need to invest in things that are gonna move the needle from a business perspective. But at the same time, we talked about people and technology earlier, there's a realization that, hey, to attract the next generation, the current generation of workers, technology professionals, they want to be working on cool stuff. And nowadays, a lot of that has to do with the cloud. 
versus coming in and working on some old legacy mainframe equivalent type of environment. Now, that's perhaps a little bit of an exaggeration, but I think you get the idea is that executives have a sense that they need to modernize their stack and modernize their teams as well. I love that part of the conversation about attracting new developers, people with more modern skill sets. And I think that's an important thing for security professionals to realize if they are involved with deciding what technologies are used in their organization. I think it's really important for them to recognize that developers, operations, all of these folks want to work on cool things. They want to learn new technologies. I like to call this resume-driven development. And if you just deny the usage of this application, this capability, even if you're right, even if you say, hey, this technology is objectively worse than the technologies that I'm used to, if you deny it, you're going to see a lot of attrition or you're going to see people work past you, that they're going to develop this um, for an R&D project and not loop you in. So I think it is really important to recognize that developer choice is a big part of this discussion. And I also completely agree that the core competency of most organizations is not managing a data center. I've noticed that a lot of organizations still have a data center, but when it comes to building out something new, they want to go cloud first. And a lot of folks are going to say, oh, well, we can trust our on-prem folks. They have worked in this area for a long time. They're really good at security. We don't trust these cloud providers. And you know they don't recognize all of the security safeguards that are put into these various cloud providers. What is your perspective and how do you make the argument that the competency of the data center administrators in the cloud are superior or at least equal to the ones that you have on-prem? You know, just like my friend um, mistakenly said and thought that, you know, DevOps was about get, allowing developers to have root access in production, you know, there's still misconceptions uh, about the cloud. And, you know, I've talked to many customers and colleagues over recent years at, that are at different phases of their journey. And, you know, it's a, it, I find that common theme is that it's a journey for us as individual security professionals in terms of what we're learning about the cloud and the different cloud providers and how to use them more securely. And by extension, it's a journey for different security teams in terms of how much capability, cloud capability do those security teams have at these organizations. And then overall, it's a journey for the organization as a whole in terms of their overall cloud migration, cloud adoption, cloud usage. And in terms of kind of thinking about this, it's really building up that familiarity. Some people, some teams, some organizations do it more quickly or a little bit more at a more measured pace than others. But by building up that knowledge of how cloud actually works, and this has been said many times before by other people, right? So I've got to give them credit, is that sure, it's a bad thing for there to be a security breach at bigbank.com. But if there's a big breach at a cloud provider, hey, that's even worse because it could affect many hundreds or thousands of customers. As a result, the incentives and economic incentives for the cloud providers to create and build and supply us with security-focused solutions and services far exceeds any, uh, any that an individual organization could potentially invest in. So definitely, you know, I'm of the camp of, hey, we can be just as secure, if not more secure, in the cloud, as long as we build that understanding, first principles, perhaps, of the cloud, of what we need to do 
in the cloud itself to use it appropriately and securely. Yes, and it's not just that they are very knowledgeable about these cloud technologies and about security, but it's about that investment, right? If data center management is not our core competency, and it is the core competency of these cloud providers, even if everybody in both organizations were equally competent, they would do better because they've invested more in that area. So I think that's a great way of looking at it. But there's a lot of people that are going to come from older environments who are going to be uh, people who have done this for a long time that are kind of stuck in that mindset. Now, you mentioned the individual path, how the individual can learn more about the cloud, get more familiar, and therefore become more comfortable working in the cloud. But you've also managed a lot of people. And I'm sure you've managed some individuals who've not quite gotten that message. What are some of the tactics that you have used to help bring those folks into the fold of the cloud, help them modernize their skill set and see it in a different light, or at least to desire to learn more about the cloud? You know, there's the inter- with the with the internet. There's always been information available at our fingertips about different security issues and security topics, but I would say that's even more so now with the cloud. And all of the information is out there. You know, the cloud providers themselves each all have very good documentation about their APIs and services and white papers and things like that. Now it's kind of a almost an infinite stream of information. So then the question becomes, well, how do we figure out what should we should look at, what we should read? How do we curate that information? So part of it is, hey, if somebody has the curiosity, and the vast majority of security professionals that I meet and interact with, they're on board. They really see where this tide is going and it is you know, moving with the cloud. And as a result, they're like, well, where do I go to learn about the cloud? And hey, from a immediately being able to stand up some cloud services, some VMs in the cloud and play with them and start to get your feet wet a little bit, you know, that's the access that now that people have to real world enterprise infrastructure effectively, right, allows them to get up to speed really quickly. You know, done many things in the past in terms of hacking challenges, capture the flags and so on, getting people interested. Fortunately, there's lots of good resources, free resources out there for people to actually learn the cloud. And it's just a matter of, of really putting in that time and based on your curiosity, where you want to delve a little bit deeper. Certainly. And there's a lot of free resources to breaking into the cloud, several of which are provided by sans.org slash cloud security. Uh, but shameless plug here, I'm kind of curious about the perspective that you bring to the cloud education space. You've built out the cloud security curriculum here at SANS. What are some of the goals that you've had in developing that curriculum and how do they differentiate between, uh, how do you differentiate between what you're trying to do here at SANS versus other providers? Well, first of all, Brandon, I think, hey, maybe you're giving me just a little bit too much credit because, hey, it's not just me, you know, hey, we've got a whole team and great authors like yourself, other instructors, other authors as well. But, you know, I will say from a kind of a overall curriculum perspective, you know, we have talked to many, many dozens and dozens of customers over the last roughly couple of years since the cloud curriculum has formally been created. And the common themes are that, yes, they are all on this journey. And what are the problems? And we try to identify, well, what are the big problems and challenges that these organizations are having? But more so from a thematic perspective, you talk to each of the individual cloud providers, and we know this, AWS is not going to talk about Azure, Azure is not going to talk about Google Cloud, and so on. 
right? You're just not going to do that from a competitive standpoint. And But we do now see that every single organization, especially large organizations, are multi-cloud either by choice or by chance via acquisition, via different business units, via different, via ge different geographies, and so on. So of course, yeah, one of the obvious perhaps themes in terms of cloud is multi-cloud. And you're very familiar with this being the author of our multi-cloud course, if you will. And uh, that, that's what security professionals and teams are struggling with is not only how do I learn one cloud, but what is different, similar across different cloud providers? Because hey, when we go into work, those security people, professionals have to understand, ah, well, team A is using this, team B is using this. What are the differences and what are the pros and cons? So from a thematic perspective, we like to try to see, okay, well, hey, multi-cloud is a trend. DevOps and automation is a trend. Monitoring and threat detection and attacker techniques, that's another trend. Enterprise architecture, that's another trend. As people learn the fundamentals and foundations of cloud, they see, ah, but how do I scale this appropriately for the enterprise as a whole. So that's how we try to look at it in terms of the journey for the individual and for the, and for the uh, team and organization as well. Wow, that was a perfect double shameless plug regarding the cloud security curriculum as well as plugging my course, SEC 510, Public Cloud Security, AWS, Azure, and GCP. So I really appreciate that you were able to do that while staying on topic. So now we're wrapping up, unfortunately. I could talk to you all day, but we only have a certain amount of time. So a couple final questions. And one of those has to be, if you could go back in time to when you were first starting in the cloud and tell yourself one thing, what would that thing be? Hey, Brandon, great question. But, you know, hey, and I, I will get to that question here momentarily. But if you don't mind, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball and do a little bit of a reverso round. Because certainly, hey, I've listened to many podcasts and seen many sessions. And, uh, you know, it always ends on a, on a closing question, which is great. But, you know, we do a little bit of a reverso here. And if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you a question here. And, hey, Brandon, what have you seen in terms of kind of the evolution of your career? And what are you most excited for next? Definitely didn't see that coming. But thank you for the curveball. I think that I found it really surprising when I was getting into security, how all of these folks that knew a lot about detection and response, a lot about cloud uh, or security management, as well as blue team tactics, I learned that a lot of these folks, despite being incredibly knowledgeable about those cloud or sorry, security competencies, maybe even in the cloud, did not have a lot of a development background. And it's really hard to secure applications and various cloud configurations if you don't have that hands-on experience actually playing around with those technologies. So I was very fortunate to basically fall backwards into this cloud security space simply by being a developer who knows a lot about the cloud and has amount, a certain amount of curiosity about security. So I think that I really hope that in the future, more security professionals will start to get curious about development, start getting curious about creating things within the cloud. Because I think that that could be a great way of improving our security posture by giving them that level of familiarity. I know that we have a lot of courses that provide that level of familiarity, some real hands-on exercises. But even beyond that, I'd really recommend that security professionals start building things themselves. And that's kind of the moral that I found from my experience in the field is that 
hey, I can learn security from development and learn it very well. Security needs to learn at least a little bit about development in order to prescribe solutions. Great. Hey, thanks for sharing that, Brandon. That's awesome. And, you know, circling back to what you were just asking about, you know, let me respond in this way and say, you know, just kind of to close it out, I would say, hey, stay, stay curious, right? Continue to learn. And uh, recently, over the last couple of weeks, I've met a lot of people, uh, some in person. You know, I met a, a, a guy who was a mechanic five short years ago and now is a DevOps engineer, cloud engineer focused on cloud. Now, he always had a interest and experience with IT overall. So it's not like he went from no IT experience or background to be a DevOps engineer. But part of that was driven by his curiosity and recognition of, hey, this is where IT and technology is going. Then another person who was a project manager working in managing uh, technology teams, but now she made the transition to working on the security team full time. And I've seen other people that are early in terms of college graduates, recent college graduates, learning about the cloud, stuff that they didn't learn in their degree programs, and really just staying curious and trying to learn something every single day. And really, that's what the cloud is all about, because unless you stay curious, we're going to become eventually overwhelmed with the hundreds of changes that the cloud providers are rolling out on a day-to-day -day basis. So stay curious, double down on cloud, and hey, we'll see where this journey takes us. And yes, that journey, I think, is one of the things I'm most excited about is that people from all sorts of backgrounds are getting into development, getting into DevOps. And that's also a great opportunity and something that's very scary because you can make a great developer out of someone like a mechanic. I've seen that happen personally, but it's hard to get them to become a great developer and a great security person in such a short period of time. So I think as that trend continues, I worked at a coding boot camp and I can see firsthand that this is the future. We have a lot of opportunities to help ensure that that next generation knows how to build things and knows how to build them right. So that's an awesome point to end on. Before we conclude, Frank, where can we find you online? Hey, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just Frank Kim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at FYKim. Excellent. So thank you so much for being here, Frank. I really, really appreciate your insights. I learn from you every single time I get to talk to you. And I hope that the folks here got to learn a little bit from me as well. And if you're interested in these kinds of topics, definitely check out sans.org slash cloud for some free cloud security tools, posters, cheat sheets, and so much more. Regardless of where you are in your journey, you can learn so much. Take a look at our job role flight plan to see how you can learn in the areas that you want to uh, aspire to be in, to learn what skills you need to learn in order to meet those roles in the cloud that you're hoping to obtain. So once again, Frank, thank you so much for joining us in this session of SANS Cloud Ace. Thanks for having me.